This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show, where each week we discuss best practices in the field of customer experience management. I'm Tom DeWitt, Director of CXM at MSU, and I'm joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Bob Keipel, Vice President of CX of M, and retired Global CX Executive with General Motors. Without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show. I'm Tom DeWitt, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Bob Keipel. Uh, welcome to the show, everyone. We're really happy uh, to welcome Stephen Carlton, the Vice President of Customer Experience for Primera Blue Cross, which is located in the state of Washington. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thanks, Tom. And hello, Bob. Nice to be here. Yeah, hello. And um, great to have you with us. And you've had such an interesting career. Um, including 11 years in the Coast Guard when you were director of total quality management back in the day. Is that when you started to get involved with customer experience management? Well, I'd say as we know customer experience management today, I, I would say no. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, um, you know, I was actually a, a pilot as well. And then the director of total quality management was my day job or my side job. Um, so I flew helicopters. Uh, I was a maintenance officer for, uh, for the helicopters. And total quality management, of course, is you know, process control, uh, continuous improvement mindset uh, you know, out of that. That was from uh, Dr. Deming, who introduced it to the Japanese way back in the 50s, post-World War II, and helped boost their manufacturing economy. So it was a nice place to be able to use that, those types of tools in, in, a, in a maintenance and a routine maintenance and uh, an unplanned maintenance environment like uh, uh, maintaining uh, aircraft. So the one thing that you do learn when you go through those process improvement um, frameworks is that there are inputs and there are outputs and the outputs uh, result in a quote customer and that customer might be internal, it might be external. And so that's where the first notion came that, oh, it's not just an activity that I'm doing, that's the middle piece. There's somebody that supplies me with a request or, or some material, I perform an activity, there's an output, and then somebody else takes that output and uses it for something else. And that's the notion, that's the first time the notion of a customer uh, came into my, uh, my consciousness. Yeah, so today, it? even you'd say you're a process guy, right? I mean, that's a key to yeah. customer experience, right? Yeah, sorry, Tom. Uh, I, I would say yes, that uh, that's how I kind of frame myself is that I'm an operator at heart at core. And by operator, I mean, making things work better, cheaper, faster. And, and then, you know, veering into customer experience, which we can talk about in a little bit. Um, those two things marry really nicely, because it's tough to create a great experience if you know what's going on behind the curtain is chaos versus a well-oiled machine. So the two play really well together. Yeah, because it wasn't TQM really the, the precursor to um, customer experience management, the whole idea of standardization and process improvement? Yeah, I don't know if those two are related that directly, but certainly there are parallels, Tom. There are, uh, yeah, the notion that there's a continuum. It's not just a point, single point in time that, that there, uh, there are relationships that, that span 
different, uh, that, that we call it a journey now, right? The, the relationship changes depending on where you are in that journey. And that whole notion there uh, probably is grounded in some uh, process uh, work because, you know, process is a continuous chain of events and, and activities. And so I think those two, um, those two mesh, mesh really nicely. So can you talk a little bit about your work at eBay where, where you served as a, the head of customer experience and eventually the chief operating officer of global shipping? What, what did you learn about customer experience management while you were there? And how did the CX, func pardon me, the CX function evolve under your leadership? Yeah, well, I joined eBay as part of an operational excellence group, a Six Sigma Lean Total Quality Management um, group that was uh, brought to the company by an executive who worked at GM, because GM is a, is a big promoter of that. And so that's um, how I ended up joining eBay. And along the way, you know, there are certain types of people that really are motivated by, you know, process improvement frameworks and, and statistical operational control. You know, so most people, their eyes glaze over when you start talking about that stuff. And so I was trying to find ways to motivate my colleagues within the company to, uh, uh, to, uh, to engage in work. And um, so I, I had an idea, uh, talked it over with my boss, and we introduced journey mapping. Uh, to a group, we were trying to figure out from a process perspective, how best to make it easier for actually not, we actually weren't thinking about how to make it easier. We were trying to figure out why when someone was trying to sell something on eBay, we had, of course, the digital data and the breadcrumbs to show that for every 10 people that start listing an item for sale, only one person comes out the other end. So we drop off mm -hmm. nine people and, and we knew where those drop-offs were. Mm -hmm. And so from a process perspective, we were trying to figure out what to do. Well, you can only do so much with data. You need some, some context and some richness. And so I introduced journey mapping and we ended up mapping what that looks like from end to end when somebody lists something for sale. And uh, and had a big conference room and had flip charts, you know, documenting each process and then invited everyone to take off their eBay hat because some people, you know, worked in, okay, here's the listing flow. Some people worked on the shipping portion of it. Some people worked on the, how are you going to receive payment portion of it? And so they all worked in their silos and didn't really understand what we talked about earlier, that there was something that happened before their work mm -hmm. and something that uh, happened afterwards. And, and they were optimizing their little slice of, of that whole journey. And what this allowed us to do was to take uh, break down those silos, so to speak, and and really put on the uh, the hat of of someone who's actually trying to sell something on the site, mm -hmm. um, and that requires that you try to uh, dispense with the knowledge that you have about the system, uh, which is a hard thing in and of itself. But nonetheless, we we tried that, and and we uh, and that was really the beginning of of bringing customer experience writ large into eBay. We previously had, you know, a buyer experience group and a seller experience group, but they were really consumed with the outcome metrics, which is, will people buy more things or will people sell more things? They weren't really concerned about the emotional impact and how people were feeling along the way. And that's how we transformed experience there. And so uh, I, I brought this idea and this work that I did with the selling group um, to our new chief product officer uh, who had just joined us and he came from Apple. And he, um, and I said, yeah, I don't know if you've noticed this, but at this company, but you know, we, we tend to work in silos and, and we don't really understand how people feel as they're going through this. And that 
you know, uh, that manifests itself in, in our outcome metrics. And he laughed and he'd only been there two months. And he said, yeah, um, I, I, I get it. And we have to do something about that. He became an advocate uh, for an enterprise role of customer experience. Uh, and, and from there, we just kind of took off and, and built the organization. Um, there were already pieces in place. And so we brought some of those pieces together and really, um, uh, really got those CX people. You know, we had um, we had in moment, and then we changed over to Medallia mm-hmm. from a survey perspective. This was back in you know the early twenty teens uh, when it was really just an email survey, and it's so much more capable now. The uh, customer experience management mm-hmm. systems, mm-hmm. and and so we brought those people together, and we brought the people who were maybe were user um, user. Um, experience or user interface experts in. And we really started to build a team that had multiple talents and that could bring those talents to bear along a journey. And so we started thinking about things um, in terms of a journey and what emotions are we trying to evoke? And it really takes a, I call it almost a religious belief that you have to believe that if you make people feel good, that you'll build loyalty and that loyalty will translate into dollars for you as opposed to um, the way we typically run business, which is the other way around. And we're pursuing dollars and, and maybe if we can make somebody feel good, that's okay too. So how that's did a- those discussions around emotions um, go with the people you brought into the room? Because there, there aren't even, you know, there are many business leaders that don't even acknowledge the relationship between emotions and loyalty. How, how did that go? with all these process-driven people? Well, here's the dirty little secret. The dirty little secret is, you know, you work at eBay and you actually use eBay. You're encouraged to use eBay, you know, eat your own dog food. Uh, and, and everybody knew how to use the platform and they knew where the frustration points were. Mm-hmm. But the secret that they had was because they worked there and maybe they worked on that particular piece of the journey, they knew the workaround to get around it. And so mm-hmm. they could go through mostly frustration free, but there was still some residual there and they knew it. And if I brought that to bear and said, just think about when you do this, oh, how do you do this? Oh, you work around because you know how the code is written, but guess what? The other you know, 10 million people who are using the site don't and they get stuck and that's where they drop off. And so um, imagine that you don't have this information that you have because you're an employee. And that was the key Mm-hmm. to um, having them acknowledge because I had them write down on stickies, what emotion are you feeling right now? And it would be confusion, anger, frustration. And so that's a way that I got them to, um, to, to get into that emotional state. And then what I did was I plotted on top of, um, you know, we were familiar with net promoter score because we had introduced that and people knew about that. And so what I did on that journey is I plot, and I think I've showed this to you before, Tom, is I came up with a net emotion score. So I'd have mm-hmm you know, 50 people go through this journey and, and I categorize the emotions that they put up there at any particular point as positive, Mm -hmm. negative, or neutral. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and then I would take the net um, of that, just like you would an NPS score. Mm -hmm. And then I plot that along the way. And so along the journey, you could see where people had, you know, really high emotions, positive emotions, and then dip down uh, Mm -hmm. to really negative emotions. And then you could overlay that onto the data that we had, which was insufficient to really analyze that journey. You overlaid those emotions and that net emotion score. And now all of a sudden you can see, oh, wow, 
look at surprise, surprise, where all the high negative net emotions are, are where we have the largest drop off points and we lose those nine people. Oh, how about that? And now we have a little bit more texture as to why, why is it that people are dropping off there? And then we can start to attack it systematically and say, this is an area where we need to work. This is where we can make the biggest difference in, you know, those outcome metrics, how many more people are listing on the site. Fascinating. These are really great insider stories and real examples, Stephen. I just want to thank you for giving the insight to the listeners. Um, and I just want to point out that, you know, no company is perfect. And I'm sure, um, you know, everybody who goes through this type of internal self-awareness, that's the only way you can get better as an organization. So credit to you and to eBay for going through that process. Um and also, I just noticed that, you know, as a process person, you're bringing in the emotions and the data and bringing it together. That's a really powerful combination. So just awesome. Um, so as we talk about this progression here, let's move on a little bit, because you spent some years as a consultant before you joined Primera Blue Cross. Um, yeah. What did you, what were you doing as a consultant and what were you hoping to accomplish um, as a consultant rather than as a practitioner? Well, I got to give you a little bit of background first, Bob, and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and that is um, I left eBay because um, we'd lost some momentum in our, in our efforts uh, to become customer centric. Um, it, you know, it, it often is a cultural change. It's not just about the blocking and tackling and an example that I, the example that I just gave you, um, it requires a different mindset and thinking about you know, things from the outside in, not, you know, from the the seller or the buyer's perspective, not the employee's perspective. And, and that requires um, change throughout the organization. You know, how we, um, even how we evaluate and hire employees, you know, what's their capability to, to engage in that uh, versus somebody who's really, you know, deep into uh, the data or the code. And uh, we ended up, I don't know if you remember, but eBay owned PayPal and an activist investor named Carl Icahn, probably many people have heard of him, um, came agitating and said, you know, you should spin off PayPal. Um, you know, you're, you're holding it back. Um, and that was the truth. PayPal was a, really the, the growth engine and was kind of covering a lot of eBay's core business sins, I'll say. Uh, and, uh, and I found it actually to be an exciting time because I thought, oh, cool. We're going to, um, well, first of all, we spent six months fighting that. And then we eventually capitulated in another year um, uh, arranging for the divestiture. So top leadership's attention was diverted and, uh, and we lost a lot of momentum. However, um, I stuck it out for a little bit after that because I thought, okay, now we don't have anything masking us. Now we're, we have a forcing function. We have to, we have to live on our own as just eBay and not with PayPal and eBay. And this might shine some light on, on us um, needing to get better. And, and the sad truth was we, we, you know, the power of the status quo remained. And, uh, and so we lost the momentum and there was uh, really the catalyst that I thought would be there for us to change and propel us um, didn't happen. And so I left, I just said, okay, I can't be successful. I left, I went into consulting, not your question, um, because I thought, okay, I'm, I've got some pretty good experience here. I can help other companies who really are committed to this. Um, and that combined with my operational background, I think I can bring something different than your typical CX consultant can bring. And uh, so that's why I went out. I wanted to, to go help different um 
companies. And I'm a curious guy. I, I like to, um, I like to work with things and people that I don't know about, um, you know, industries that I, that I don't have familiarity with. I like to learn about them, which, you know, that's part of the process of, of helping them is learning what they do and how their business runs. And so went into financial services and worked at uh, some banks and helping their mortgage process, you know, because that's awfully painful mm-hmm. for a lot of people, uh, went into some entrepreneurial, um, uh, uh, situations and, and help people design an experience from the ground up. And uh, so that's what I was doing while I was consulting. That's so interesting. Um, what your, your answer just points it to the point that if, if the company's not into it, don't do it. Don't, like if you don't have the leadership behind it, don't do it. Uh, you know, cause you're banging your head against the wall sometimes. And so convincing management to adopt CX practices or improvements to the culture, um, being a numbers guy and a process person, um, how do you deal with that sort of ROI question that you get? Like, what? Mm. Why is this worth it? Yeah, it's it's a lot easier in a B two C scenario, uh, business to consumer, where you know you have churn rates. Like in the in the eBay example, that seller journey. You know, it's easy to see the ROI because if I could change. Uh, you know, the drop off from nine out of 10 down to five out of 10, well, you can put a dollar amount on that. And so it's much easier, you know, uh, where in, in other scenarios, like where I am now in a, in a B2B environment, it's a little bit different and it's a little bit more difficult. Um, and, it, and you start to gravitate toward metrics about uh, relationship sentiment base. You still have those churn metrics, but you can't necessarily put a dollar amount on it, but it's, it's it becomes about retaining business rather than winning new business. And so um, the metrics are difficult and it becomes even more important that um, what I'll call the religious conversion of, of just knowing that you're doing the right thing by treating people well and creating good frictionless experiences will translate into, um, into monetary um, goodness for you. And, and so it's a little bit more difficult in the B2B, but, um, but in the B2C, you can actually um, start to, to measure those things. So Stephen, you've had a really interesting and varied career, including stops in the tech industry, and we've already talked about eBay. You're in a new environment now um, in in the insurance industry at Primera Blue Cross. So what what lessons have you learned along the way that you see bearing fruit at Premier Blue Cross? Well, I would say the lessons, uh, kind of what we just talked about, where there's value, it might not be tangible or discreet or easily identifiable, but there's value in treating people well and building trust and, and, and enhancing relationships. And especially in the health insurance uh, uh, industry. I mean, who do you know that trusts their health insurance company? Who do you know that mm-hmm. takes recommendations from their health insurance company about where they should go? You know, I mean, my personal experience has always been my health insurance company. They're just telling me where to go because it's good for them, not necessarily for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and because there's this huge asymmetry of information in the U.S. healthcare ecosystem, I mean, you don't know which doctors are good or which are no good. Um, most people go on recommendations from their friends or their family. Um, there's, you know, there's no very limited Yelp reviews, so to speak, or, or those types of help, uh, helpful tools that, that guide us to make better decisions. And so the, the notion that 
of building trust and of building relationships um, becomes so much more important. And, and again, it goes back to that mindset that sure, we, we need to have metrics around it because we have a responsibility to run a business and we have fiduciary responsibilities. And that's not, um, that is not, uh, cannot be separated from what you need to do from a building trust and loyalty perspective, which is often the, uh, the purview of marketing. Uh, and, and so you bring sort of the finance and marketing together and you bring this, this um, sort of psychology factor to bear on it, to try to understand, to get inside the heads of your customers. Um, and, and then you've got this added uh, dimension where, you know, you can ask people what they want, but, you know, Steve Jobs didn't ask people if they wanted an iPhone. Um, he had a lot of information that he put together. Um, and he had some ideas about what he thought might meet needs and what, what might be cool. And so you, you really, you can ask people what, what they think and, but you have to take all of that with a grain of salt. That's, that alone is insufficient. And then you need to find other ways to understand, uh, those folks and put those things together, marry them. Not unlike what I did at eBay with, uh, with the data and then with the emotional content, and then, uh, try to make your best effort at, at, at putting, a solution together, putting an experience together um, that will draw people in and that will, that will keep them there. I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing. And then of course, in, in healthcare, you know, you're getting people at their most vulnerable and that, you know, the, uh, the history of this industry is that, you know, we kind of club people over the head when they're at their most vulnerable by giving them surprise bills and, and bankrupting them and, and, and making them go through endless hoops just to get a bill paid. And that just seems a bit immoral to me. Is there a difference between customer experience for somebody who's having a run-of-the-mill annual checkup versus somebody who has a catastrophic, gigantic bill because of something that happened? Yeah, I would think so. I think they're common points, Bob, uh, which is you know treating people with respect and care. Um, so that that's universal. Um, making sure that we make room to understand where that person is in both scenarios so that we can do the right thing for them, take that next best action. Um, now, um, it's kind of, you use personas uh, to try to uh, to try to bolster what it is you're gonna do or try to inform what you're gonna do. And of course, there might be different personas in the primary care routine visit perspective where there's not you know all the fear and all of those emotions that, oh my gosh, am I gonna die? Am I gonna see my kid's graduation? Um, how am I gonna pay this bill? Am I gonna lose my house? I mean, those are, those are emotional spikes that would inform uh, taking a slightly different approach or not a different approach, but maybe ramping up what we might do to make people feel comfortable and safe in a primary care environment, we'd need to ramp those up and probably have them match the, the, the magnitude of the fear that somebody is facing in, the, in those circumstances. Mm -hmm. So how about, you know, we're hearing more and more about preventative care um, as, as part of the responsibility for an insurance company. Is that something that you find, you know, you mentioned trust and loyalty before when an insurance company makes a proactive effort to address preventative care issues, which are going to benefit both the, 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 the member and the company because reduced claims. Um, have, is that something that you guys are focusing on or do you have any thoughts at, at all about um, the emphasis on preventative care and, and, and how that 
customers respond in terms of their loyalty and, and trust perceptions? Yeah. Uh, funny, I do, Tom. Uh, I mean, the, I, uh, I find it really yeah. fascinating because that, that, you know, preventive care is actually something that benefits everybody, right? But it, Absolutely. I'm sure it's how you execute that that's fundamental. Right. And, and we've all been experiencing some form of that for years, whether you're getting those uh, robocalls about benefits that you have in your plan that you didn't know about, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, smoking cessation or weight control or what have you, um, you know, the ones that I always ignore and, and delete the voicemails mm-hmm. um, uh, to, you know, even if they do reach out to you in a new channel and, and with, a, with a relevant preventative care suggestion, um, those are, I would say, up till recently, those outreaches have been for exactly the purpose that you just said. Um, it's to save money uh, for both the member and for the payer, uh, which that's good because you know burgeoning healthcare costs twenty percent of GDP. That's not sustainable, and we have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. So squeezing costs out of the system is a good thing. Mm-hmm. That said, going back to your trust comment, um, one of the things that I keep saying is we can we could message people all day long. Mm-hmm. And with the right message, with the right intent, but if they don't trust us, or if our messaging isn't compelling, um, then just sending out the text message or the email or the phone call is is ineffective. And and you know, I mean, let's start measuring. Okay, we send out um, you know fifty thousand SMSs saying, "Hey, go get your colonoscopy." Well, how many people actually acted on that and did that mm-hmm. within some period of time? Mm-hmm. When you start looking at that, then you see that wow, really ineffective. And then you start to dig into why is it ineffective? Well. It's because what I said before, most people don't trust their health insurance companies. And so how do we build trust so that we can become, we, we can, we can create an environment where all of a sudden, instead of being ignored, people go, oh, huh, maybe, maybe they are looking out for my best interest and maybe I will go do that. Um, but that's a long road. And that's where we are right now is acknowledging that we have to build trust. And, it, and some of that is admitting our culpability in, in the mistrust that exists. And, 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 you know, that's a new, that's a new muscle for this industry. And so uh, we'll see how it turns out. Yeah. You know, the, the two precursors to trust formation are, are benevolence and credibility and benevolence is, do I perceive that you have my best interest in mind, or are you just trying to lower your claims? Um, And and the second credibility um, comes from, is it coming from a, a knowledgeable source that educates me in a meaningful manner? And pretty hard to do that through SMS messages, but um, sounds like, sounds like the, the start of something really great and interesting. Fingers crossed, Tom. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what, healthcare industry is one that needs customer experience, and it's exciting to see, as we mentioned earlier, new people from different industries going in to help out. It's kind of a cool trend. Yeah, it's it's fun to, like I said before, I'm I'm a curious guy, so I, this is my first foray into health insurance. I'm just a little over two years into it, and I've learned a ton. Uh, there's a lot of low hanging fruit and then there's a lot of inertia to overcome. So it's um, I think you're right. And, and I will say that uh, to Premier's credit, um, uh, uh, our, our leadership is actively seeking people with those alternative perspectives. Uh, obviously, you need some people with deep experience in the industry um, and you also benefit from uh, from people who come in from outside the industry. And that causes a, a good, healthy tension. And, 
you know, it's, it's really up to the leadership to, to be able to manage and work through that tension. And, and that's where we are right now. We're in the middle of that journey. And, um, I'm hopeful that we'll come out on the other side much better and, and maybe even start to change it in, in industry. Well, best of luck to you, Stephen. Maybe we can check back you with you in another year and see how things have gone. I hope so, Tom. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, uh, listeners. Um, whether it was intended or, or whether it was accidental, thanks for being with us here today. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> look, look forward to talking to you again soon, Stephen. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tom and Bob Show. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and share it on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have any ideas or suggestions for future podcasts, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. After all, you're our customer. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.